Read the Krishna Bhakti Canto 3, Chapter 31, Lokapila's Instructions on the Movements of the Living Entities. So, just a little recap. We've heard, we've heard the prayer, we've heard the miseries in the womb, then we've heard the prayers, then we've heard about the forgetfulness that comes when you're born. And now we're getting to childhood. Childhood, or, or yeah, boyhood, girlhood. And then later we're going to get to adulthood and the general conditions and how things just get worse. Verse and verse after verse. Because they're in the material consciousness. How can it get any better? So, text 28. Iti evam shayushavam bhutva dhukham haugandam eva sha alabhabhi psito gyanad Ittamanyu Shucharpitaha Ittyevam Shaishivam Bhutva Dukham Haugandam Evacha Alabhabhi Psipuk Nyana Ittamanyu Shucharpitaha Devam Shaishavam Bhutva Devam Shaishavam Bhutva Dukham Pavandam Evacha Alabhabhi Psituk Nyanad Alabhabhi Psituk Distress. 
Translation. In this way, the child passes through his childhood, suffering different kinds of distress, and attains boyhood. In boyhood also, he suffers pain over desires to get things he can never achieve. And thus, due to ignorance, becomes angry and sorry. In the context, it's the previous verses were talking about how the child can't actually express himself when they're an infant. Not really. Unable to refuse whatever is given to them, they fall into undesirable circumstances. They can't scratch their body to get relief. They can't even sit up right away. That takes a long time. And they're helpless. So things are going to get better, right? But then the verse says, repeat after me, in this way, the child passes through his childhood, suffering different kinds of distress, and attains boyhood. In boyhood, also, he suffers pain over desires to get things he can never achieve. And thus, due to ignorance, he becomes angry and sorry. From birth to the end of five years of age is called childhood. After five years up to the end of the fifteenth year is called Paogangdan. At sixteen years of age, youth begins. The distresses of childhood are already explained, but when the child attains boyhood, he is enrolled in a school, which he does not like. This rings any bells. Measure hands. He wants to play, but he is forced to go to school and study, and take responsibility for passing examinations. Another kind of distress is that he wants to get some things with which to play, but circumstances may be such that he is not able to attain them, and he thus becomes grieved and feels pain. In one word, he is unhappy, even in his boyhood, just as he was unhappy in his childhood. What to speak of youth? Boys are apt to create so many artificial demands for playing, and when they do not attain satisfaction, they become furious with anger, and the result is suffering. <laughs> Stapitangena Krishna Krishna Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Itivam Shaisvam Bhukva Dottam Bhavandam Evacha Laptapipsutok Nyanad Ittamanyu Shacharapita In this way, the child passes through his childhood, suffering different kinds of distress. 
and attains boyhood. In boyhood also, he suffers pain over desires to get things he can never achieve, and thus to the ignorance becomes angry and sorry. So one may have, may have thought, one may have thought, I feel, okay, I can understand how not being able to sit up and, you know, scratch your body and express your basic needs. That's pretty, that's pretty tough, but what about when they can't? Then they're problems. I mean, one may not think of this explicitly in, this, in these terms, but one may consider, well, it would be better, certainly it would be better, but the thing about material life is that as things get better, other things get worse. It's just, it's just the way that it's rigged. It's natural, it's Krishna's nature. And Krishna is no fool. He doesn't want us to get comfortable here. So what we see here is, as the body is changing, um, yes, the, the child is now old enough to speak. They can meet several of their own basic material needs. Like they can maybe go to the counter and get pour themselves a glass of water. I remember when I was like four years old, we went on a trip to Germany uh, because my grandmother was living there at the time. And I think it was my first... Well, no, because I left you on an airplane. But it was my first time that I remember being in a plane. It was a whole big deal. I went there, and I had grown up, I learned Farsi when I was very young, and I left it behind and I started learning English, right? And when you learn a language and don't practice the other one, you lose a lot of it. So we got there, and my grandmother only spoke Farsi. So it was, I was going from a four-year-old back to, like, you know, an infant, because I couldn't actually make my needs met. So when the parents were out of the room, I couldn't express myself to this person who I knew I should have a relationship with. I remember sitting on the counter and feeling thirst and trying to get them to understand that I wanted water, but we couldn't, we couldn't understand each other. And you know, years later we joke about it because it seems like such a simple thing, but to get your basic needs met is actually a whole thing. It takes a long time to develop language skills. And if you lose them for some reason, then it takes a long time to get them back. So, you can make progress in material life, but at the same time, other things are getting worse. So this is how that is playing out. Yeah, they can, they can drink water, they can express their needs in that way, but then because the soul requires ultimate satisfaction, at any point in life, the soul reside their hopes for ultimate satisfaction in material life into something else and think, if I just got this thing, I will be happy. And Prabhupada is pointing out what it's like to be a boy. And I remember being a boy. I remember exactly this thing that Prabhupada is talking about here. I remember that burning desire for the latest video game, or before that, like Lego, or whatever nonsense thing. And as soon as I got it, you know, it was like practically minutes before like the thrill wore off, and it was just like, on to the next thing. I remember very clearly. Does anybody else have this kind of reflection from their life? Boyhood, girlhood? Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just the way it is. It's actually coming from the soul. The soul needs Krishna. And Bhagavatam says this not in so many words. It says, That although everyone sees that all the material things in life don't make them happy, they still can't see, they can't, they can't help but be invested in these things. And he gives the example of a body, uh, a patch of land, a family. These are the, uh, the, the adult considerations. Boys and girls don't really think about this as much, 
I mean, when you get older, they may think, oh, well, if I just had a husband or wife, then I'd be happy. That thought sort of starts into the mind, but Bhagavatam is aimed at the adult audience, so it's talking about these adult concerns, but it's actually the same thing throughout life. You could insert any number of childish concerns into that equation, and you'll get the same thing. If I just get what I'm looking for for my Christmas present, then I'll be happy. If I just pass my test, then I'll be happy. If I just, uh, whatever, you know, get the, get the marks, get the, get the girl or the boy, get the money, and it never ends, actually. It actually never ends. That's the point. It never actually reaches a point of satisfaction because it's, it's completely a fabrication of the mind. There's never actually a point at which, having achieved any of these things, one is actually happy, not according to the standard of Bhagavatam. And there's never a point at which, on the other side, having uh, a lack of these things, one cannot be happy as long as one has Krishna. We saw that because way back before they had anything else going on in the womb, they couldn't even move. You know, you can't even eat your own food. You have to have a little, little, uh, little tube to get fed from pre-digested food from someone else. They're just like sitting there. Before any, any kind of material facility is there, the fortunate soul who remembers Krishna actually achieves real happiness, at least for some time. And so this is the, the stark contrast between the desires of the mind and the reality. And in the next report, which, I mean, I'm not going to read it and get into it, but it is quite relevant, and it touches on some of the things I'm going to talk about today. In the next purport, Prabhupada mentions that, you know, as we've seen this verse, and thus to the ignorance becomes angry and sorry. Okay, so we have these desires. Unfulfilled desires leads to anger. This is all a manifestation of the mode of passion. This is the nature of the world. According to the mode of goodness, if the mode of goodness is unmixed, if it never changes, if it's never intruded upon by passion and ignorance, we're actually satisfied. Should the sattva, the spiritual nature, is actually equivalent to the mode of goodness without any passion or ignorance. Prophet outright says this in his purports. But that's not to be found in material life. In material life, yes, the mode of goodness, that, that, which, which is never mixed with ignorance and passion, that is spiritual life, that's spiritual experience. Therefore, there's satisfaction. Things never degrade. But that's never to be found in material life. There's never a place where things don't degrade. You clean some space, you come back a little while later, and there's a little dust. If you come back a little while later, there's spiders making a home there. Because the mode of ignorance has come in. It's just inevitable. So the point of all this theory is that um, it's, the, it's the influence of passion that actually degrades one to ignorance. The anger, the sorrow that comes in life, the lamentation. This is because of unfulfilled material desires, which are there at the mode, level of the mode of passion. Actually, we should be just satisfied. But as long as we're in material consciousness, there are always going to be these intrusions. Oh, if I just had this, if I just had that, the mode of passion says. And then you go after it. Maybe you get it, maybe you don't. And then there's disappointment, fatigue, lamentation, depression, anger. These are manifestations of ignorance, the after effects of passion. And it's like that, it's like a cycle. It actually never really ends until one is actually pulled out of that cycle by devotees, by Krishna, into spiritual life. And that's the, that's the point of this section, as always. We're not here to um, reminisce about childhood, except in as much as it helps us to actually be fixed in our Christian consciousness. We're not here to criticize uh, boys and girls, except in as much as it helps us to be fixed in our Christian consciousness. The point here 
the overarching point is that there's no situation that's going to satisfy, and that's why this section is going over each of these situations so systematically. The material entity can't be happy in a womb without Krishna, they can't be happy as an infant without Krishna, they can't be happy as a boy or girl without Krishna, or a teenager without Krishna, they can't be happy, you know, in the prime of their life without Krishna. That's most of the situations in Bhagavatam. Kings and queens, you know, rulers, this and that, healthy, strong, you know, apparently intelligent. They're not happy about Krishna. I mean, you see no examples of them being happy about Krishna. So it's just systematically, in case we ever want to take refuge in, oh, well, what if I was in that situation? No. A, B, C, go through the whole alphabet. Nothing is going to work without Krishna. So this is just another phase of life. So basically, what we have is a categorical difference between material and spiritual life. They're just two different categories. And as long as we're in the category of material life thinking, well, if I just adjusted this or adjusted that, the boy or girl wants their toy, they want their, their dolls, their playthings, they want this and that, the other, and the adult wants some other thing, but it doesn't matter, actually. It's the same, it's the same category. As long as we're in that category, we're not going to be happy. We have to actually switch categories, have a paradigm shift. And Chaitanya Chaitanya says this, that Atmenya Kriti Vancha Kari Kama. But this is the definition of lust. This is the definition of material consciousness. To want something for your own mind and senses independently. That desire, that's lust. It doesn't matter what it is. If it's only for you, your, you meaning your senses and mind through your material body, that's lust. That's material consciousness. Krishnendri Kriti Icha Kari to actually want something for Krishna, to want him to be happy, to want to please his senses. That's actually prema. That's the nature of love of God. That's the nature of spiritual reality. So we see the division point in desire. No, no, there's desire in spiritual life and desire in material life. The division point is, who is this for? So, boy or girl wants something, of course they want it for their own senses, because they're impelled by the mode of passion. Well, I shouldn't say, of course, there are children who actually have desires for Krishna. They're, they're born, the devotee families are trained, and then they actually want to do service for Krishna. That manifests. But the default, without training, without actually helping somebody to come along, whether they're a child or a bhakta or a guest of the Sunday feast, the default is to be selfish. We have some momentum going that way, to be selfish. So then you get your kama, you get your lust, which leads to anger and grief and sorrow and all that other nasty business which the whole Bhagavatam is trying to save us from. So the category difference isn't a difference between, it's not a difference between um, childhood things and adult things. It's a difference between things for myself and things for Krishna. My pleasure, as if I was independent of God. That's the unspoken assumption in Kama. The unspoken assumption of material desires is that I can satisfy myself because I can be satisfied without God. And spiritual consciousness means, I must satisfy Krishna. First we think, I must satisfy Krishna because it'll be good for me. And later we think, I must satisfy Krishna because he's just so sweet. I just want to. I just really, really want to. And that's the division. So, I want to take some reflections here, just to kind of hammer these points. We can talk about anything I've said so far. Specifically, if you want help, we can start with Linda. She's already ready to go, but... If anyone wants some product, you can talk about the kinds of things you wanted when you were a child and how they didn't satisfy. <laughs> it's not in the long term. Or how they did for a very short time, apparently, and then didn't. And also how there's these two different categories. You know? 
I think it's the Bible that says, uh, when I was a, when I was a child, something like when I was a child, I wanted childish things. Now I've grown up and I don't want them anymore. And it's an analogy, actually. It's not about growing up and getting rid of your Lego set and like, you know, being into collecting business suits or whatever. It's about actually growing up spiritually. Um, so we can talk about that actual division between real desire and material desire, which we're going to elaborate more on also. I um, was reflecting on the last few verses, this one and the last few, because um, actually was, I've been reading this and I read out loud um, while the kids were sitting and taking prasad, and we read this one. And um, I looked over at Neil Audrey and we were giggling because it was like exactly describing a vibe. And it's too real. And he knew what we were thinking, and he scrunched his was like, "That's not me." But it's so true, and I can see even that when Abai was a baby, he had some rash problem. His whole body was covered in the rash, and we couldn't figure out what it was. And he was so uncomfortable that he would cry and wiggle around, and we couldn't figure out. At first, I couldn't figure out why he was. So upset, and then we figured out it was because he had a rash all over his whole body, and he couldn't itch it. And so, and and so we would like scratch him and stuff, but he couldn't fall asleep. He couldn't be peaceful because his whole body was itchy, and he couldn't move his, he couldn't itch it. And and it took us like different consulting with different doctors to figure out that that it was the detergent in the cloth diapers that was creating his rash. It took two weeks to go away. So I was thinking it, it's exactly illustrating that experience for him. And then this is 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 that too, that he like, you know, like, I want this next Lego set. He gets the Lego set, he puts it all together, he goes with it for a couple of days and then he wants the next Lego set. And then these like huge Lego sets, like they're all like falling apart and collecting dust and spiderwebs in the corner and the next one and the next one and the next one. The next video and the next video and the next one. We'll have to regulate it so much. Yeah. This is material body. Next material body. That'll make me happy. Next material body. It's just, that's, it's just so wrong like that. I remember being eight years old or something. I wanted a copy of Super Mario Brothers 3 for ridiculous reasons. I was sure it would satisfy where one and two had failed. And, you know, of course they, they gouged the parents for so much money. It was like $90 or some ungodly amount. And my, my parents got it for me, and I passed it in like three days. I played it nonstop. And I had, I'd like honed my intelligence down to a fine point. I'd like conquer video games. That was my whole life for that year or whatever. I was like into these like stupid nonsense. And then, I remember telling my dad I passed it after two and a half days and the expression on his face was just priceless. Oh God. <laughs> it's actually exhausting. It's exhausting to have to like invest yourself in these things that really don't satisfy. So we should think like that, you know, about our material desires. Oh God, you want that again? You want to take birth again for that? You want to waste that much more time, money, energy? <clears throat> the intelligence is like a parent in the room. The child is pleading for these things. Any more reflections on this tsunami? I just had this thought when you were talking about how in the creation, 
it starts from, so the soul is there, or the super soul is there, then the soul, and then uh, the different elements begin from the false ego to intelligence, mind, ether, air, water, no, fire, water, and earth. And I was just thinking that the whole material creation is, is basically the foundation of it is false ego. So when you think that it's separate from Krishna, it's all just different transformations of this substance called false ego. And uh, the soul can't get anything out of it. It's just, it's, you know, we're like, I think Paramesh Prabhu said in a really interesting way, he said we try to grab these like, these like formations of mind, intelligence, false ego, or mind, mind intelligence, earth, air, water, fire, and like try, try and like grab them and like morph them into this thing that we can enjoy, and then uh, and then it, all, it always it always he did this thing he was like <laughs> and then uh, yeah it's, it's, works. it's so artificial it's so artificial Brandon and Brandon or is it on the same point okay so I guess we'll like Brandon first so we can just finish the thought. Well, I was thinking about how as sort of an evolution, our desires evolve. Mm. Um, even to the point of um, we have, we may have external desires that we sort of purify, or maybe we have more subtle desires. But even the desire, I was just talking about this with another coach, that even the desire to be heard and and like to the desire to have someone else experience your experience, it's even though it's a sattvic thing, it's just like we want to have um, someone who experiences our experience with us, that companionship, that even that will frustrate us because it's not the same as Krishna residing in the heart of every living entity experiencing every experience. That's Krishna's role. But we have this desire to have someone that we can experience life with, mm. or someone that can feel my pain with me, or someone that can feel the joy of the experience with me. And that desire is, it's ultimately meant, it's ultimately resides, it's satisfied with Krishna. Even our connection, like Prophet says, friendship, society, love, that that's sort of, that's, it's refined, it's not like we want a Lego set, but it's it's refined but it, it's meant actually for Krishna and ultimately. Yeah. Yeah, when you can kinda of grow up from trying to enjoy matter to trying to enjoy um, subtle matter, you know, trying to enjoy someone else's mind and intelligence. Then to trying to enjoy like uh, a dharmic situation, which is very pleasing to the intelligence, is very much in the mode of goodness. Very ordered, very according to the, the universal order of things. You know, your relationships can be like that, but it, if it doesn't, if it's not really ultimately about Krishna, if it's not even dovetailed for Krishna, then it's just a more sattvic form of Maya. Yeah, and then ultimately, yeah, as you said, you know, we want some relationship with Krishna. Is already the perfect relator. He already understands us completely. He's really actually amazing that way. Thank you, Brandon. Yeah, I really like uh, the point about childhood being pretty miserable in reality because for the longest time 
always an idealized childhood when I was having a hard time as a teenager, especially when I was at school. I was like, man, if only I was just a kid again and didn't have any uh, worries or, or any responsibilities, then life would be perfect. And then I would get up, you know, to my 20s, and then I'd be like, oh, man, if I was just a teenager again back in school, mm. you know, and didn't have any real responsibilities, then life would be perfect. And I was, like, always idealizing the, the past and not really acknowledging all the misery and the pain that was going on, only, like, looking at the good times. So, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. And that ultimately leads to taking birth again, that mentality. That's what Krishna responds to. When you, when, you, when you die like that, then you get to be born again. Which is inevitable, actually, because if you don't actually have that, the thing that really satisfies, you must hanker. You can put your hanker in the past, you can put it in the future. It's the same thing. The point is that there's unfulfilled desires, and Krishna doesn't just leave us hanging, actually. It's his mercy. He gives us a chance to try it out again, and again, and again, and again, and again. But what we really want is to just change that category, to change that category from material desires to spiritual desires. Once I become an adult and I can make my own decisions and no one is telling me what to do, that's when I'll be happy because it'll be mm-hmm. all about me. And you know, um, I, I can agree with what Brandon was saying. When I was a when I was a teenager, I always thought like if I could just go back to childhood and not have any responsibilities, that'd be great. So I have this paradigm of like when I can make all my responsibilities, I'll be happy. But when I had no responsibilities, I, I was happy. And so it's just it's not rational. <clears throat> it's not rational. Think about it. It's not coming from the intelligence. The intelligence can be used to try and fulfill those desires, but it's actually coming from the mind. Right. Yeah. And it, this, this discussion is making me think of the book Hiding in Natural Happiness. Mm. Um, because oftentimes when I'm talking to people about this book, I say like, one thing that we discuss is that um, searching for happiness outside of yourself is never going to be fulfilling because you can keep looking for something and it's not sustainable. But being happy, that's sustainable. Finding happiness internally and something more lasting is what's going to actually make you happy. Where you're not searching for happiness, but you are happy. And so I, I like this point. Yeah. Sure. That's good. Um, I, I'm actually reminded of The Road Less Traveled. The very first sentence. It's a poem? Huh? Is that, is that, that the poem I wrote across? No, the road less travels book by Scott Peck. It was it's like it's like well, the second sale Bible that was one of the most read book in okay. all time. But the very first sentence he says is um uh bit, um, I'm just paraphrasing. Basically the con- this concept of life means suffering. And until we accept the reality that life means suffering, we will continually avoid it. And we will never, and he, one of the main premises of the book is that to grow up or to mature means to accept the reality that life means suffering. And so he, ta- he talks about maturity and becoming a, an adult and how that means taking responsibility. And he ta- responsibility for life, for what we've created as our own life. For the suffering that we've that we're experiencing because we created it, 
and basically saying that life in the material world means suffering and we created it. And to, to, to accept the reality means to also accept the responsibility that this is our creation. Right, rather than avoiding the responsibility by just indulging or investing in some other temporary thing. Which, you know, when you're, when you're young, you can kind of say, like, it's natural for children to be absorbed in the desires of the moment. That's natural for them, to a degree. I mean, it's not natural for the soul, anywhere they are, but um, at least when we're adults, we, should, we, should, we have this expectation of course, Pallad Maharaj preached to children, and he expected them to, to, to understand what he was saying, and many of them did, actually. They didn't appreciate his points. But certain, so certainly at least adults should understand that um, these things that are being said here, that actually investing in a distraction is not going to satisfy me. Our whole society right now is based on distracting ourselves. We're getting better and better and better at distracting ourselves. You know, this... this script that we're hearing about that Maya is giving us is that, oh, if I just had that, I'd be happy. If I just had this, I'd be happy. Oh, I was happy in the past. Oh, I'll be happy in the future. Well, I mean, you know, you could see like what social media is doing to people is creating an illusion that everyone else but you is happy right now. Look at the nice pictures they have. Look at the amazing stories that they're expressing with 12 words or less. You know, like it paints this picture. That's very attractive for the false ego. You know, it gives you something to hold on to. It gives you like a reality you can like sort of cling to. Oh, I have these friends. Oh, I have this life. Oh, I can have a life like that. And actually the entire material culture is going that way. It's just creating more distractions. But what I heard you say is that we actually have to, we actually have to really, um, yeah, accept that, accept that in life, in material life, there's, there's always suffering. That's just the way it is. And we actually have to ultimately take responsibility uh, for our spiritual life. We have to take responsibility for everything else up to that too. We have to take responsibility for tying our shoes, you know, keeping a clean body, having relationships that aren't just awful with other people. And ultimately what we really have to do is take responsibility for our relationship with Krishna. That's going to solve everything else. The other thing is that we, we have to take care of to some degree or another. That's also responsibility. That's adulthood. That's humanhood, you know. Prophet said human life, you know, these regulator principles just means human life. It means taking responsibility to not like brutally torture animals so you can eat, taking responsibility to not degrade yourself with intoxication and so forth. That's human life. But exalted life, devotional life, means taking responsibility for my dormant relationship with Krishna that I've neglected for so long, which can actually make me really happy. And him as well. Okay, number four. <laughs> is you were talking about investment and I was thinking like when we invest like an austerity is an investment in something, right? So when we invest in our relationship with Krishna, we're investing in something that's long term. Whereas like like say say we spend two thousand dollars on a plane ticket to Hawaii and we stay there and we spend it on, you know, two thousand more on an Airbnb and we fly back. All, all that that money has gone to is an experience in time, you know, and it's gone. But, but putting, say, four or $5,000 in, in some sort of investment thing that accrues money, like, you know, when you put money into an account that, that you can invest in this and that, and it will, it will give you returns. So similarly, like, when we put our energy into 
something that's going to be, you know, something material that will just disintegrate. Or even, I don't, you know, I want to be careful when I say this, but even when we're investing in relationships, at, at some point in time, that relationship will go away. It will be gone. And, and what's the benefit of it? So seeing, like, where am I putting my, where am I investing my energy, and what's the return for it? Yeah. I made a point in my class one time that actually we have these four goals in human life, karma, artha, dharma, moksha, and five actually prema. So karma means to gratify your senses. This is the most short-term thinking. Animals think like this. You know, you can't tell a tiger not to eat you. It wants to eat. It just does what it has to. That's instinct. You know, you can't argue with its karma. You can't argue with an animal that's in heat. It's going to mate. It's just, it's just the nature of things. So when the sense object is there, the desire to gratify one's senses with that sense object, that's the most short-term kind of happiness there is. Artha means economic development. Well, no, I should go to school. Prabhupada says, you don't want to go to school, but your parents make you. You know, you don't want to uh, make money to invest in the future, but actually it's, it's more intelligent. You'll get more happiness out of it than just trying to gratify your senses now. Because you can gratify it, you can eat now, or you can eat now a little bit and also plan for eating tomorrow. And that's actually going to give you more eating, right? Higher than that is Dharma. Actually, if you follow Dharma, spiritual religious principles, at least we can say, then you'll be happy in this life and the next. You'll create another material life that's actually a little bit okay karmically. It's not as devastatingly bad because you haven't lived a sinful life. So you're creating a better long-term strategy that way, but you're still in the material world. And moksha means forget about material life, become liberated. But prema means this real division point that I brought up earlier. Take care of your kama, artha, dharma, and moksha as much as you need to, but really focus in on Krishna's pleasure. And if we can make that our mission, then we actually transcend all of these things. If we can actually find a way to be invested in satisfying Krishna's senses. You know, I mean, the, the core of that is the Shankar Japa. We heard this morning. Mahatma, in his reflection we, we read in the Mangalarti, he was talking about, you know, if, if I give 50% of my japa, I'm going to get 50% back. But one thing that stood out to me is that in his, in his uh, introspection and his honesty about his japa, he said, a lot of the time when I'm chanting japa, I'm thinking about, uh, he listed some other things. He said, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm often thinking about what my next class can be about, or um, what this project can be like. And I was thinking, boy, I wish I talked about those things to japa. You know, because that's actually investment in Krishna's service. Of course, at the highest level, when you're chanting japa, you're just chanting japa. Really, mainly, unless Krishna gives you some special insight and middle of a round and you drop down and know it's okay, you know, open up this preaching center or whatever. But mainly, you're just focusing on the name. But at least you can say he's at this level where he's so invested in his giving classes and his giving seminars and workshops that when he's chanting Japa, that's where his mind is running off to, not, you know, eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. So at least to get to Shudanam means to go through being very, very invested in. Okay, um, how can I improve my, my service to the deities? How can I, you know, I cleaned the temple today. How can I do that living nicely? How can I satisfy Radhavan by cleaning every corner of this temple? How can I cook a, a really wonderful prep for Rajbog? You know, this is absorption in satisfying Krishna's senses. He has extremely rich and diverse needs and desires. He has unlimited desires that we can satisfy. That's his mercy on us. You know, you can get your Mario Brothers cartridge, it's good for four or five seconds. 
you know, and it's just like lame. But Krishna, you can you can learn how to dress him, you can feed him, you can dance for him, you can perfect your dancing, you can perfect your preaching. Whatever you're doing for Krishna, you can do it better and better and better. And that absorption is what carries us from absorption in, in material sense gratification as a boy, girl, adult, or whatever, to actually being on the, the, the pure devotional platform. That actual absorption in Krishna's sense desires, he has transcendental senses. He actually sees us, he hears us right now. You know, we're all talking, he's hearing us. We're, we're, we're taking darshan, he's actually seeing us. You know, he's, he's feeling in the clothes that are on his transcendental body. He's actually appreciating these offerings of service. Every prayer we're offering, he's actually, he's actually receiving them. So being focused on increasing that pleasure for him, that'll make us really happy. And that's a practical path out of uh, absorption in material things. Two, you know, yeah, I can be stuck in the womb and I can just be satisfied praying to Krishna, or I can just chant japa somewhere for 10 hours. Maybe there's a Bhagavatam. That's all I need. But to get to that, Means, uh, means service, means finding some way to actually please Krishna's senses and being absorbed in that and being like, actually the, the word less is used. Narutam Das Thakur says, Kama Karmarkhanam. Kama Krishna Karmarkhanam. Yes, that's actually in the next purport. That one's kama, one's lust, becomes purified by focusing it on how can I please Krishna's senses, like being like really into pleasing Krishna's senses. This is a super practical point I want to bring on. That's basically it for me. You can take it for the next nine minutes. You can take more comments, questions, reflections. Wasn't you know how Quran says that, that as soon as we make endeavor to to sort of uh, satisfy our suffering or pacify our suffering, then even more suffering comes. Yes. On that same on that same point of not accepting the reality of suffering, instead wanting to, wanting to just eliminate it. Yeah, it's an so, avoidance strategy. How so much energy goes into avoiding or, or like, quote-unquote, solutions to suffering? I heard this really good thing from Giriraj Swami recently, and he said that, he was talking about that that uh, that cartoon that Prabhupada talked about where the from the New Yorker where the man is saying the wife is saying chant 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 and the husband is saying can't 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 and uh, he brought out this really deep point that I never heard from that from that um, cartoon and he said the way Prabhupada explained it actually he said Prabhupada said he said just see this man he he could have been chanting but with the same energy, he's saying, can't, can't, can't. So, yeah. <laughs> here Swami was saying, that there's this like causeless, he said, he called it causeless unwillingness. Yeah. It's completely irrational. Yeah. I know, yeah, I've given this example so many times, let me give it again. When I was a child, my, my mom had to like, twist my arm to get me to brush my teeth. If you've ever been around a child who just wanted to do something, it's like, uh, especially if they're like very willful, which I can be, it's like, you know, like a donkey like digs in its heels. They put so much energy to avoid the thing that would have taken like a tenth of the energy to just do. Just to, just to express their, their, willingness, their unwillingness to do it. Just because they can. That's the soul. The soul can just like take a stand. Here, no further. I'm not brushing my teeth. 
You know, you could be completely irrational, but it just, it would have been done. It would have been over and done with. Our, our, maternal, our material life is actually like that. You can take a stand and say, here and no further, I'm not going to be dedicated to material sense gratification. I belong to Krishna. And it's actually a lot simpler than it seems. Of course, we have to keep making that choice because we always have free will. It doesn't end there. But um, it's, it, it's, it's, such a, it's such a huge problem in our head, you know? Or like, oh, I can't, I can't, can't, can't. You, you could have just, yeah, we have so many examples of devotees, like in Shastra. It was Gadadhar Das, not Gadadhar Pandit, the other one, Gadadhar Das. He went to the Chamkazi, I think it was, and he said, everybody is, <laughs> he was so ecstatic. He was always in the mood of a coward boy, because he's, um, anyway, he's in Sakyaras, I think. And then, so he, he's got this really, like, playful mood. He, he storms into the Chamkazi's house and he says, everybody in the world is chanting Hare Krishna but you. Chant Hare Krishna or I'll cut your head off. <laughs> and he's, he's so bold and impudent that the Chamkazi doesn't even, like, take offense or, like, have him, like, beheaded or anything. He just says, okay, whatever, I'll chant Hare Krishna tomorrow and you go away. And Gadarada started dancing. He said, why tomorrow? You just started chanting now. <laughs> because he got him to say Hare Krishna. You know, that's the, that's the whole business. It's actually like not a big thing. Mahaprabhu has made it so easy. So easy. Just put yourself in touch. Yes. We're going to hit new records today for individual contributions to a class. Oh, that's going to be so upset when he knows that every morning and evening is like that. I don't want to brush my teeth. I don't want to change my clothes. I don't want to wash up. Like every single day, morning and evening. Or like going out the door. I don't want to go to this. And I was, and on this point of causeless unwillingness, I was reflecting like how that happens every single day in in me. Every time I wake up in the morning, it's it's actually rare that I wake up and I'm like, yeah, let's go. It's always like, I don't want to wake up today. I don't want to go do that. I don't want to take a shower. I don't want to go outside in the cold. I don't want to get yeah, out the that's the part of us is going to be like that. And every day it's like, I don't want to chant my japa. I don't want to sit and read. I don't want to go to the flower run. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to call that, make that phone call. Like, it's, it's, it's always there. I don't know if it's just me, but I see it in my six-year-old son, and I see it every day in me, at least at least once a day. Yeah, it's not just you. I've heard a pastor, my grandma, Rajesh Kapoor, and he, he gave a story about book distribution. From, when, from a time in his life where he'd been distributing for many years, because at this point he was a grahasta, which means at least mid-80s, probably later. So he, he gave a story to say how, you know, one day his mind was just like, that's it, I'm, we're not going on books today. We are not going on books today. And so he decided to play this game. He played this game by starting and saying, okay, yeah, of course we're not gonna go on books. That's a, that's a crazy idea. Why do we go on books? Silly. Should I take it from me, my friend? We're not going to go on books. Let's just put some books in the car because later in the future, some other year, we may go on books. Let's just do that now. We're just taking up space here so the mind is pacified. And then he said, let's just get in the car and go for a ride. We're not going on books. Don't get me wrong. We're just going to go and go for a ride because, you know, it's a beautiful world out there. Let's enjoy it. Let's just go for a ride and see it. It's out in California, Northern California. And so they did. And of course, he's, he's planning the whole time. So they get to the book spot, and then mine's like, oh no, you know, you're not getting out of here. You're not getting out of this car. It's like, yeah, we're just gonna go, there's fresh air outside. We've been stuck in this car. Let's go just walk and breathe some air. You like breathing. 
let's do that. So they go, and like that, he, he cajoles the mind, he brings a book with him, and the mind is like kicking and screaming, with his, this is the way he tells the story, right, out of his humility. And then the first person, he, he actually goes up to somebody, and he convinces the mind they're going to try and distribute a book to this person, just one person. And the person's super into it, they're really ecstatic, they want a, they want a book, and they say, oh, I'll give a donation. Oh, but I don't have any money. I only have my, my bank card. And the mind starts going, yes, I told you. This is a total waste of time. And there was an ATM right behind them. And the mind's like, no. So they get a donation for the ATM, $20, and done. Spend the rest of the day on books. And of course, you're so satisfied when you do your service to Christian. You're so satisfied when you take a shower, whatever crazy thing the mind doesn't want to do. It's never like a, a rational thing. When you hear that voice, it's never rational, you know. When it's coming from the mind, it's not about rationality. It just says what it, it just wants what it wants. I think that's why it's so important to know which voice is which. Yeah. Because then, because there is a voice that's saying, that knows after a certain number, a certain amount of time, that my experience repeatedly is, is that I, I have resistance, I do this, and then the result is better than I, than I thought. Yeah. No, and so or worse, depending on what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So, so to know like what it means to really overcome the mind means it's still going to be there, but to overcome it means to remember why we are doing what we're doing. Yeah. Why am I waking up in the morning? Yeah, if it's going to work, you know, at a butcher shop, for sure I don't want to wake up in the morning. Maybe it's not good to go there. But if I'm waking up in the morning to to rise early and be in in, in the hour of Sattva to chant japa and focus on the holy name in an attentive way and actually feel genuine uh, peace and um, shelter in that. Okay, that's what we have to remember why we're doing it. And to remember that voice, that other voice that's saying, remember why you're doing this? Yeah. You will often hear those two voices at the same time. You know, like, that we're not going to go on book distribution. They're like, yeah, we are. You know, that we can understand like what's actually being played out in front of us. It's important. It's very important to understand the difference between those two voices. Any more comments tonight about maybe another intro? So here you talked about the uh, prema and the focus is only for Krishna's pleasure. So if the devotee is thinking, um, yeah, I understand that intellectually, but there's so many things, you know, that I need just to keep trying to focus like that on Krishna's pleasure. And so maybe you could say something about um, um, being able to take the indications of what we need to go on in order to keep that focus rather than getting distracted by what we think we need. Yeah. Well, that's the, that's the balancing act in material life. If we didn't have a material life to maintain, it'd be a lot more simpler. We wouldn't have to actually calculate these things. We wouldn't need Bhagavad We wouldn't need material calculations at all. Um, but Bhagavad spiritual guidance from Guru Sadhu Shastra is all there because everybody has a different material situation. Krishna's the same. You know, prema is there, you know, as our goal. But everyone's coming at it from a different 
corner of the muck of the material world, which means they have a different collection of needs and desires. So which one is a need, which one is a desire? You know, it takes time and it takes maturity and guidance to sort out, right? Prabhupada gave so many instructions on these kinds of things in his purports to help us differentiate between needs and desires, but then also they have to be custom-fitted to each of our lives at different points. That's why Varnashram is a whole life thing, it's a whole social vision, because one person is passing through so many stages. I don't want the same things I wanted when I was a boy, hopefully. Um, maybe some things. But, you know, we have to be, we have to be like kind of operating under guidance. So it's, it, it just kind of touches on this, this point that it's, it is a, it takes a village to raise a child kind of thing. There is a, there is a need for, at one point in the, in the late 80s or early 90s, several senior devotees in our movement met at Githanagri and talked about what's going well, what's not going so well, what are the challenges we face, which, I mean, Iskand had faced many challenges up to that point, for sure. And his only understood about the Swami's kind of one-liner at that point was, you know, the thing we don't have in Iskand that we really need is more grandmothers. Which he meant, like, we need, like, wise people. You know, we need persons who've been there. They've been through it. We need generations, not just, you know, like, when Prabhupada was on the planet, the oldest devotee other than Prabhupada, and experience-wise, it like a decade of experience. I've been training for almost a decade. I would not want to be in charge of ISKCON. I would not want an ISKCON that has me in charge. So, over time, we've, we've become so fortunate to have persons like yourself who are so much mature, who have been through so many things, and it, it's, it's, it's on all of us to try and find the guidance and uh, take advantage of the lessons learned. You know, there's so many times in ISKCON where persons were overly austere, overly in the Gyan mode, rejecting the material bodies, and they suffered unduly because of it. And there are other times when we were overly in the karma mode, like absorbed in, oh, well, you know, i got to keep this body you know, healthy, and it's just too much in this, in the, in the, like, that kind of distraction, and then they suffered because of that. And what those two things look like is, um, is a lot like what those two voices are, you know, the mind and the intelligence. It, it, this, this ability to differentiate between the different kind of streams of possible ways of going, that comes with, with maturity. Um, so I think that it, the, kind of the answer, I guess, or the direction I feel like going when I hear that question is just to point towards the need for a society. That's why we have to be in each other's association. There has to be generations. There has to be some degree of varnashram, which creates you know, a base structure, and then persons taking guidance how to actually work within that according to their own needs. It's, there's not really an easy answer, but there's no substitute for maturity. And then, of course, if you're, if you're sincere, you'll make mistakes along the way you learn from them. That's also Krishna. That's also allowed. You're, you're, it's going to happen. You're going to make mistakes. But if you learn from them, I know for myself, you know, there's certain things that I've, I've had to learn from just by making the mistake. And, um, but those are lessons that can stick with you. Sometimes you have to kind of fall on your, in your face. Yeah. Hare Krishna. Anyway, with that, we'll move on to more service. Gratify Krishna's sense by honoring his prashadam. Shri Bhagavatam ki jaya, Ramcha Kapatrabhyascha, Kapasam Sagevicha, Katitana, Bhavani, Kyo, Vaishnavi, Kyo, Ramona, Gaur Premananda, Gaur Premananda, Gaur Premananda, Gaur Premananda, Gaur Premananda, Gaur Premananda, Gaur